Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you to raise the bar on your own performance and to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's episode. So I've stepped into the tangle of technology. We are uh, on the Nonprofit Exchange. I am Russ Dennis. And I have with me Linda Conyard uh, from Down Under, who is up in the middle of the night uh, to be with us here today. So welcome, Linda. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> ah, so welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. And, and uh, so we know we typically don't read bios because those aren't quite as exciting. So tell us a little bit about uh, work you do and why you do it. Thank you. Um, so I guess having lived a life of um, hidden domestic violence as a child and grown up in that and not realizing it, I made it my norm. So I didn't know that it was, I mean, I didn't, I knew it wasn't okay, but it seemed to be, it's just what it was. So accepted that that was my normal. And um, then when my second daughter was diagnosed with cancer, when she was six months old, I think I was pretty prepared to operate in trauma. And um, not that I did it very well. It was like an, <laughs> my adjusted self, however, I had had made that work so I could survive my childhood and then this experience. And I was around, oh no, late 40s, early 50s. And I started studying a, a master's degree in Gestalt psychotherapy. And that's where I, I read a quote in uh, a book Peter Levine wrote, which was his book was Waking the Tiger. And it said, trauma is a fact of life. However, it doesn't have to be a life sentence. Mm. And something clicked in me and I went, oh, trauma. And then I started going, oh, my life as a child was trauma. Oh, this I knew my, my daughter's situation was traumatic. Um, my daughter survived, by the way. Um, and it just sort of led me down the path. And a lot of the experiences that I had in the medical model and the education model with my daughter, and because she be became blind at three, so then had a disability. Um, and it started me like really, really understanding how much unnecessary trauma um, there was. And it, it's not acknowledged and it's not recognized. And it just became a mission to eliminate all unnecessary trauma wherever I could through education and training and becoming trauma sensitive. So the whole notion of trauma is this, uh, and you said a lot of people don't notice that. And uh, what was it that, that had you recognize that you were trauma? I mean, did it just kind of occur to you that oh, I'm, I'm really in deep and I don't know what to call it. Yeah. Well, I think uh, there's a lot of things like the way that I manage stress. You know, I used alcohol as, you know, a, a, a tool to like just blank out or I'd sit and I'd watch silly TV for, you know, when I got home. It's like how I just started to observe and become aware of how these things that, you know, were my normal way of managing things. Um, I knew they weren't helpful, but it was all that I had. And I started to understand much more about the symptoms of trauma. So it can be things like, you know, addictions. It can be, um, you know, people who are workaholics. I was that. I used to work, you know, you, you're just distracting yourself all the time. You're not present 
to your environment. You're not present to yourself. So it just started, it just started to unravel in different ways. And then, um, you know, how you sort of keep yourself really out of your life through anxiety, panic attacks, depression, all the things that you would probably go to your doctor for. And then there's like a, usually a way of medicating that rather than actually going, ah, this may be a symptom of trauma because it's like the medical model aren't, aren't taught this either. So we're just not aware of trauma. We think it's like this great big massive thing that might occur that's horrific and all the rest of it. But there's a, um, a YouTube uh, clip called um, uh, Still Face Experiment. I think it was done in around the 60s. And they're ex they exploring like what it was like with a mother and an infant. I think the child was about 18 months old, something like that. And the it, it didn't take, the mother was there and she was engaging with the child, the child's gooing, squealing, pointing, all that sort of engagement that you get when you're really present to something, right? And then um, she turned her head away and she turned it back. And when she turned it back, she had zero expression on her face. Mm. The child was still doing the same stuff and there was no reaction. And it didn't take very long before the child started to get distressed and was crying. And then the mother started to engage again and the child was fine. So, you know, what you could take away from that is basically, you know, we're going to we're going to experience, you know, traumas. We're going to experience things that are not nice for us, not pleasant in any shape or form. And then, you know, it's how we it's how we come back together, how we how we're able to, you know, re um, reconnect. That's the important thing that builds resilience not the trauma and then how we creatively adapt to the trauma because it doesn't go away. It's how do we reunite? How do we, how do we resolve that um, whatever it might be that could be traumatic? And trauma is basically when something's so overwhelming for us, we can't actually process it in that moment. So trauma in and of itself is not a problem. It is when we can't repair, you know, so the repair is so, so important. And so, well, it sounds like trauma is something that can originate at home, but you bring it into a workplace. So if, if somebody's, well, you've got the head of a family, you've got a leader in an organization, um, how do you recognize it? And what are some things a leader can do about that? You know, it's the same thing, whether you're a leader, whether you're whatever your role is in the world, it doesn't matter because we're all human beings and it all starts with us. So the first, you know, often we'll look outwards. If there's a problem, we'll look outwards. We, we don't often look at ourselves. And that was my biggest learning, you know, that it has to start with me. So if I've got a reaction of some kind, then I need to look at myself. So if, if we don't take that, that first view and we're looking outwards, so it might be in an organisation. If I think about not-for-profits, and this is a pretty big generalisation, so people can disagree with me if they like, but I think about people who start not-for-profits. They're, they're usually driven by something that's occurred to them and it comes out of, you know, they want to make this change because they don't like what's occurred. So they make this step into creating a not-for-profit where they want to support people's social change, whatever it might be, right? That's how I view not-for-profits. So when I think about that, there's already hurt people there and it's going to attract people who, you know, have some kind of, and, and like I say, it's a big generalisation, but if you think about it, it's going to attract those heart-centred people that are, want to make the change as well. <clears throat> and usually that comes from some kind of hurt within themselves. So, you know, you might find friction, you might find that you have a high turnover of volunteers, which is often a big part of um not-for-profit organizations um, so there's signs that you can see as a leader 
but always check how are you in the situation? Always look there first. So I see that there's three major disconnects. We have a disconnect between ourselves, disconnect between others, and then a disconnect between our environment. If we were really connected to ourselves properly, deeply, then we wouldn't do to others what we do. And we also wouldn't do to the environment what we do to the environment. So it's like the key point is to actually do that inner work ourselves. And then we have like this whole collective, um, you know, if we look at it from a systemic point of view, a transgenerational point of view, there's the way I see it, our societal issues are a direct result of unresolved repeating trauma that come down through the generations. And you would see that like we see it here in um, Australia with the white people and the, our Indigenous people. You would see it in America with the people of colour and the whites, what happens there, because it's a history that's not resolved. We haven't looked back to see what needs to occur backwards. And especially I, my, research, my research project last year was looking at how we could have unity between white Australians and Aboriginal people. And it was directly looked at looking at white people and what do we need to do in our lineage to resolve that? Because I see often we have this, it's like, you know, those icebreaker ships where, where it cuts really cleanly at the front and then there's all this mess of ice at the sides and the back. That's how I see we're doing. And we're going to just do that out, out of, we're going to live ourselves out of extinction, just powering forward. So if we just take some stop, just take a stop. And, you know, it's often because we can't be with sensations or we can't be with what is in us that prevents us from having a look back and we've got to just steamroll forward. So that was a very long answer to your question, but basically we've got to look at ourselves first, mm -hmm. I believe. And so, yeah, I mean, there's so many things that are taking place that you probably heard all the way down there about these incidents in California and Buffalo oh, yes. and New York. And so there's so many things that are going on. Yeah. Um, so what do you think can support leaders in the face of all of these these crazy things that we see taking place. Uh, what, what sort of tools are out there? What sort of things are available out there to a leader, especially uh, when you look at the space we're in, the nonprofit space, we, we're already dealing in situations where people have some unmet needs. Uh, there are things that the government is not built to do, business is not built to do, but these are, deep needs in society for people who, um, who may have uh, some situations that are not the greatest. So how do, how do you, what sort of tools can support people working in that space? So again, it's like I have um, a program called Compassionate Empower Workplaces. And part of that is looking at trauma sensitivity and, you know, as leaders, you know, what, what, can, what can we do and like, where do we sort of take it? And I'm noticing more and more, which is fantastic. There's more of these psychological um, safety kind of um, scenarios, not scenarios, but people that are in this space that can recognize that there is a need for, um, you know, leaders to actually be different. Like, you know, strategically, I think leaders, fine. They've got that. They've got that intellect. And in my Compassion and Power workplaces, I look at how can we blend that intellect that they already have and the emotional um, uh, quotient and then that systemic transgenerational quotient. And that's often missed. People don't often look um, for a systemic cause. 
So not, not our systems as in government, but that transgenerational systemic stuff that comes through with every human being that is on the planet, basically. So, you know, I guess it's around, well, I know for myself, I always have a mentor, a coach. I always have someone else who I can talk things through because as leaders, it's like they can often be isolated. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to talk to a downline uh, uh, member, staff member, when, you know, there's a position that they do hold. So to have that vulnerability, I think they need that space to be able to explore that. So I would say, you know, one thing would be to find a really good professional who can actually support you in the in the testing out of things where it's a safe place, where if you get something wrong in the language, it's okay. You know, that kind of space where you could really um, challenge yourself even in, um, uh I guess, how, how you usually do things. And people usually do things because they're used to it. And there's actually a physiological thing in the brain where um, you know, they, they're used to operating in a certain way, regardless of whether it's functional or dysfunctional, but it's like that familiarity. So to move out of that, it's a process. You have to lay down a whole neural, new neural pathway and that takes time and repetition. So I guess the first thing is to really challenge the status quo of how you think and this is going to help us change as, as human beings. If we start to challenge what we've always done, then we have an opportunity. And even sitting in the not knowing, that's a, that's mm. a really fertile place. So if you've got support and you're sitting in that not knowing and you don't feel pulled to have to fix or change and you can open yourself up to possibilities, then you have, it's a different way of operating, you know, because we're, we're very structured usually and it's like boom, 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 we do these these tasks, we do this, this strategic stuff. And part of trauma is like where we disconnect from the body, which is the heart, the soul of the being. And we operate from the mind because that was a safe place because trauma is actually trapped in the body. So, um, oh. you know, just even recognizing, even if, even if leaders don't know what to do with what, what's going on, just recognizing what can they see in front of them. And often if people are um, causing some issues in an organization or not-for-profit, usually that person, the behavior are linked together. So what we want to do is start to separate out the behavior as something's happened to that person. And this is the, this is the reaction that's uh, coming from them. And especially if it's like anger or something, some of those, um, you know, not welcome kind of expressions that people have, right? It's like, if that's not welcome, then it's like um, the person is angry that, you know, that the whole thing is linked to that person so we need to separate that and go that's the reaction that that person's having what can I do about it and what do, what might they need so you know leadership is is I think is very different to how we've done it in the past you know you can't just be there and be directive because people need connection if you're going to have people you know really engaged and buying into your organization then they need to feel connection because we all seek that and it's part of our survival mechanism to be connected in a group, not to be out on our own. I think part of the trap too, as you mentioned all of that, and as you were thinking about all of these unconscious things, there are things that we built in, we build in these defense mechanisms. And as a result, we end up with all of these blind spots. Yeah. And uh, if we're going to, if we're going to be effective, we've got to give people permission to kind of Tell us about it, and and so um, 
And that brings me to the subject of, of blind spots. I know as a leader, well, I'm a religious science practitioner and have been for a year, and, you know. So with, with our nonprofit leaders, leaders in general, people come to us and we position ourselves in a place where we are here solving community problems. Uh, you know, people are relying on me to help. Uh, uh, navigate some conditions. And so what kind of blind spots can that create? Because there's this notion that I've got to have all my stuff in one sock all the time. And uh, so what kind of blind spots can that create for a leader? Yeah. And I think what you're saying is um, like what I, what I was mentioning before is like having a place for leaders to be vulnerable, like a safe place for them to have this vulnerability where they don't know, where they don't know what their blind spots are. And I believe this is another bold statement, but I believe we can't resolve our trauma by ourselves. Mm. There's always someone or something that that opens up this blind spot because we are so hardwired in our brain with mm. how we've creatively adjusted ourselves. Um, so we spend the, you know, we, we get through our childhood and we creatively just to survive that. We continue to operate like that. And most of our adult life is trying to unwind and <laughs> refine ourselves. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's um, for me, it's about having that place where you can, where you can be and really um, have that vulnerability as a leader. I think it's so important and no one knows everything. No one can see their blind spots. And it often shows up in, this is one little, little key that when, if you start to see patterns and you start to find yourself in the same movie and you're always the lead actor in this movie, it's a different actors, but the same story, that's a clue. Right? It's a real clue because it's like, it, and the underlying theme might be, so for my myself, my underlying theme is that I'm not seen and not heard. So I would create all these scenarios subconsciously, and Peter Levine talks about this in his book, all these scenarios subconsciously that prove to me that I couldn't be seen and I couldn't be heard. So whatever the underlying pattern is and the theme that, that you have that runs through your life, if you can find that, then a lot of your blind spots will be tied up in that. It is, it's awesome, it's amazing, you know. So if a person can bring themselves to uh, do this, and it, it really is, everything's an inside job, but then you got, you got all these constituents, just people in the organization who are with you, who, you know, we're all human, human we're spirits having a human experience. Yeah. And so how, how does that leader in turn help other people in the organization so that they can be more effective and efficient at helping others who by nature of their missions a lot of time have trauma when they walk through the front door. That's right. So the more the leader is resourced themselves, the more capacity they have to be able to recognize it in others, to be able to take the steps of like, you know, it's about like recognizing it first and then um, about making sure that you're calm because what happens is when, when someone's triggered into their trauma and it can be something you might even not even realize, harmless that you've said, but it's a trigger for someone else, then they start to, the charge in their body starts to go up. 
And if you've got a reaction, you're going up with them. <laughs> like the only way is up. <laughs> yeah. But if you're, if you're steady in yourself, you've addressed a lot of the things in yourself, so you're less reactionary yourself, then people can do their trigger, but they've got somewhere to reground to. So there's somewhere for them to recalibrate to. So if the leader has done that work themselves and their leadership team has done that work, then that's going to create much more capacity to support those who come with the good intentions and are often attracted to their underlying theme, like all of us, right? There's more capacity then in that organisation to be able to hold those kind of reactions and to be able to deal with them so they're not in a harmful way and that we don't actually play into repeating patterns of ourselves or others. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So what are, what are the benefits, not just to the people in the organization, what are the benefits to the people they serve when they've managed to create a, a culture and an environment where trauma is, is recognized for what it is and, and uh, dealt with in a very supportive way? Well, you would know yourself that when you've got that, um, when you've got that environment, people sense it, right? Even if they're not aware, they sense it because we 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 are sensory because you know we we have to for our survival to be able to have this instinct of like, am I okay here? Or am I not okay? That mm. does get a little bit warped when someone has a trauma response yeah. because they're actually safe, but they they're feeling like they're not. So it's like when you um, when you've got that environment, people sense it. And I was a um, uh, volunteer for a home-based palliative care service for oh, many years and um, the environment there you could it could attract and, and when you're more solid and you've done more work not saying that I've done all of it because I feel like I'll be a practitioner of life and resolving this till my last breath and that's okay <laughs> but it's like you know I've done a lot of work so you know and I've even noticed over the time that I was volunteering there when how I was present um, to people who are dying or their families of the person who is dying and that really taught me to have presence and because in that situation there's nothing to do right there's absolutely nothing to do except to be. Yeah. Um, and if we could have more of that being in ourselves, then there's a whole different energy that comes out that people can bathe in even. And especially if you're, you know, you're working with, you know, people that are marginalised, people that, you know, have a lot of trauma and circumstances that have put them in situations that, you know, has just been how it's happened then it's like you need that capacity to be able to not burn out yourself and to make your, your nonprofit organisation, you know, really stable in somewhere that the communities, if you look in the bigger picture of myself, if I'm stable, the, the trauma can happen and people have only got, the, the only way they can go is down. Mm. And then if you put that in a bigger capacity of like your organisation and the culture of your organisation, then that's like a community that can actually um, resonate down to a more stable kind of environment so that's like the collective you're sort of moving into more of a collective field then and you know you would know it yourself when you're in a collective group and it's all harmonious then it's like that that sort of spreads out if it's dysfunctional and if it's disruptive that also spreads out so there's a collective um, experience that occurs as well as an individual experience 
Oh yes, it is contagious, isn't it? The yeah. calm and the the calm and the chaos. You know, it, it's about being centered in. So when you walk into an organization, and, and thank you for doing this work because it's very critical. Yeah? When you walk into a, an organization, and you know they may not know they have trauma. I get a sense that if they call you, they probably felt yeah, something's a little bit off. Don't know exactly what it is. So, what what would that look like? What what's what's that process? Uh, how how would you how would you start to identify that and and help people work through that? So the first thing I do is I just check and see if the leaders are ready, because you know it's a big it's a big job to actually culture change an organisation that takes commitment and that mm. takes time and I totally understand when you know, people might need to take bite-sized chunks. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's probably a really healthy way not to expect that you're going to shift a whole organisation in a short period of time. I don't think that's sustainable myself. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it on individual level. Like, you know, this takes time for you to integrate and to change, you know, mm -hmm. the neural pathway in your brain, other people's brains, and to, and to re-resonate into a different way of, of being. So for me, it's like if a leader wants to break it up into parts, so it might be that we, we just have a really, really straight conversation around, you know, what do you think it's going to take? And what, what's, the, what's the realistic view of what it's going to take? Um, and it might be like, am I ready now? I might not be, but what can I put into place just in this beginning step? So I've broken up my program into sections so people don't have to commit to me for six months or 12 months. They can, but they don't have to do it up front. And we can, for me, it's like it's always individual. Like we can do a blanket thing, okay. but if we don't meeting people in their individual, individual, you know, place, then same as in my therapy room. If I think I know something, then I could miss a really critical point. So I believe that the leaders and the organisation, they have all the answers. My job is to facilitate them connecting deeply to themselves to be able to find those answers and to find what's right for their organization and to just have a place where they can really become really integrated and solid in themselves so that they can actually filter this change down. It has to come from the top first. If the leader's not engaged, then I won't work. I won't do that work because it's not, it's not gonna work. It has to come from the leader and then the executive. And then, you know, then I support them to implement what they need to implement down line. So um, because it takes practice, it takes practice to do new ways. But, you know, I, I never know what I'm going to find. And it's the same in my one-to-one -one clinical practice. When someone comes in and they want to deal with whatever it is, I never know what I'm going to find. So I'm open to how they need to unfurl themselves because they have their own wisdom. So I hook into the, their own wisdom and I help them to see that and really connect deeply with that. So... Uh, there's some, what, what, what would you say would be some reasonable expectations in terms of maybe staging this? I, I, I would imagine that's probably dependent on where the organization is, the number of people, but what are some of the stages that, that individuals and organizations go through in trauma from, from just this first notion that something's wrong to come to a place where they have systems in place to actually deal with it. Yeah. And again, it's very individual. It depends. It depends how much 
inner work the leader has done, how, how connected the leader is to the executive, or whether even in that there's been a setup of the leader's own repeating pattern. So they're facing their own, um, you know, what, what's come out through their own ex lived experiences through their life, that they're, they're repeating their own pattern with their executive team or their board or whatever they're, they're working with. So, um, you know, that, for me, that's the first place to start, just to know what are we working with? Um, and, you know, what are the symptoms in the organisation? So it might be that there's bullying, there might be that there's racism, there might be that there's other toxic situations that are rising within the organisation. It might be attrition, it might be presenteeism where people are there, but the work's not happening, they're, they're, they're not engaged. So all the, all the symptoms that are there, it depends what's there and depends what we can see as a, as a thread as to where the work goes. But initially it's like an assessment of, you know, connecting with the leader, like, are you ready? Are you engaged? Are you committed? Great. Next step would be, let's have a look at the organization. Let's survey the people, the exec, yourself, and let's bring that data together and have a look at what we're really dealing with. Because often as a leader, we can misinterpret what's actually going on on the ground. So, you know, if we don't listen to the feedback of the people that are either out there in the communities or doing the work, whatever, then we can miss some really valuable, valuable data. So we collect that and we have a look at that. Then I present that back and we have a discussion around that. And then it's like, what do we do next? So it's always one step at a time and looking at what's in front of us and what's present. And then that's the way that we're going to really have sustainable change. And that might take some time in amongst all of the work that they're doing so it's like a you know leaders that take this on I really respect them because it takes a lot to actually engage in this way but the end result is it's gold you know um, you know it has to take a lot of openness and uh, we're, we're in a time I think we're uh, diversity inclusion of thought you know just, you know, there's so many things that can lead to trauma. So it's really about openness. It has to start, I think, with openness. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we could probably talk about this for hours because there's so much to unpack here. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if it's just perception, but, you know, there seems to be a lot of incivility. But there are a lot of wonderful people doing a lot of wonderful things out here, including the leaders that watch this podcast and the folks I've met in my travels. You know. mm -hmm. So uh, what, what sort of closing thoughts do you want to leave with people? If there's, if there's one big takeaway, what, what would that be what, that, that uh, you'd like to leave our audience? I think I'd like to invite your audience to actually just take a moment to sit quietly and contemplate what it might be like if they were truly connected to themselves. Because I believe all of this can be healed by people reconnecting to themselves and to the truth of who they are, not the adjusted self, you know, not the self that's been through their awful situations, their traumas, whatever, even if it's unrecognized trauma, not that adjusted self, but that you know, who, you know that when you get to that um, existential question, like, who am I and what am I here for? It's like that self-inquiry of like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm bigger than what my hurts. I'm bigger than the wounds that I carry. So just spending some time in that place and, and knowing that there's people out there to support them that won't judge them if they don't know things, that won't, you know, that can create a safe container for them to mm. explore and do something different. Yeah. 
if people want to know more, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, maybe they could have a look at my website. Um, it's www.linda, L-I-N-D-A, conyard, C-O-N-Y-A-R-D.com. Or they can send me a message through the, through the contact us. I'm happy to jump on the phone and have a conversation, no charge. Just if they're interested and they've got an inquiry, I'm happy to get on the phone and just have a chat. You know, there may be someone that's better than me or different to me that is, is a better fit for them that I might know. So, you know, it's for me, it's around getting people to where they need to be to get the help that they need to be the best person that they can be. So I'm open to conversations, questions. Yeah. Thank you so much for getting up in the middle of the night. Grace us with your time. Uh, very, very, very important subject. And uh, um, we, we're just grateful to you. Love to see you again sometime in the future on the Nonprofit Exchange. Uh, and for our audience, uh, well, I'm sorry we didn't get out live, but it is so good to be back in the saddle here for the Nonprofit Exchange, uh, connecting with people who are out here doing things every day to make the world a better place. Once again, Linda, you have my thanks. Uh, Hugh will be back next week on the Nonprofit Exchange. Please join us. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.